If you're here in five weeks' time, at our Christmas Eve service, we will sing, O Holy Night. We'll sing these words. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Saviour's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. When we get to a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, a shiver will go down my back. And when we get to fall on your knees, I'll do exactly what I'm doing now. Tears will roll down my face. I've sung and heard that hymn hundreds of times. In the next month, it'll go through my head time and time again, and tears will come to my eyes. Despite my familiarity with it, it still brings shivers and tears to me, and even more so on Christmas Eve, when I think of what happened on that first Christmas Eve, and what we celebrate the next day. I need nothing new at Christmas. I do not expect to find new insights in our readings over the next few weeks from the openings of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, although it's always possible, as God is always revealing more of himself to us as we study his word. I look forward to our carol service and what Colin and the children will do and seeing the young children after the service with the animals in the petting zoo. I look forward to dinner on Christmas evening with family and friends. It's the same every year, but it is always fun. But the thing that will make my Christmas is the truths we have in our Bible passage today and in the coming weeks, and the truths that we sing of in our carols For our carols are as rich in the truths that they declare about Jesus and his birth. I want nothing more. I need nothing more. My greatest desire is to share and savour the truths about the Saviour's birth. Not in long discussions or long sermons, but in our music and in quiet reflection on God coming to dwell among us. Emmanuel, God, with us. Today and over the next few weeks, I want to take us back to our first love, an idea that the Apostle John uses in Revelation 2 when he warns people not to lose their first love. And when he says first love, he doesn't mean first in time, but first in priority. Our preeminent love our greatest love, the knowledge that there is a God and he loves us and wants us to love him. 
We see God's love in him coming to live among us, first as a vulnerable newborn baby and later as a divine healer and teacher and as our saviour who died for us, who knows our every sin and yet would still die for them. I know the story is familiar. The Christmas carols and decorations have been in the shops for weeks. Plans have been made for Christmas. But familiarity need not breed contempt when we want to see Jesus, when we see Jesus. That Christmas, the story must be told, even though the story is well, so well known. Angels had appeared to both Joseph and Mary to tell of the forthcoming conception and birth. The Roman Empress, Caesar Augustus, held a census, probably so he could work out how much tax he could raise. Joseph and the heavily pregnant Mary plodded down to Bethlehem. There was no room for them, so they stayed with the animals, or where the animals usually stayed. Shepherds see angels, wise men, possibly three, bring presents. A child is born. If we were Joseph or Mary or the shepherds, we would be completely amazed by what we heard and saw. But we might not be. Because we've heard the story so many times before. And that is actually just about the biggest problem facing the church today. The problem is not with growing secularism or when errors creep into what we believe or when hundreds and thousands of new religions or spiritualities are invented around us. The biggest problem is when old truths no longer stir us, no longer thrill us. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings and a firm Christian, once said that the most regrettable feature of human nature is how quickly we become unsatisfied with the good. We receive good gifts from God and then grow bored with them. Spiritual dullness sets in. Obligation and routine take over from the expectation of joy. Perhaps familiarity is the enemy of wonder. Uh, today, I make a promise. I am not going to come up with anything new or exciting. I'm not going to go digging for any new research or new theories. Because the old is more than good enough. We have nothing to prove to the new religions or spiritualities. Stability should not provoke suspicion. I mentioned last week a, a deeply troubling book called Strange Rites by Tara Isabella Burton. Uh, she says many people are trading institutional religion, which includes Christianity, for intuitional spirituality. Many people who now tick the no religion box in the census still claim to be spiritual. They come up with spiritualities that work for them. Sometimes they blend aspects of Buddhism, Wicca, New Age, mindfulness, sexual freedom, self-help, bodybuilding, misogyny or misandry, and much more. A common feature is that they look inwards for meaning. 
Burton calls this intuitional spirituality, a religion decoupled from institutions, from creeds, from metaphysical truths about God and the universe, but that still seek in various ways to provide us with pillars of what religion always has, meaning, purpose, community and ritual. But think about what we've heard in our Bible reading today. Think about a God who would not only create everything in the universe, but speaks through angels and comes to live among us. And think about what that says about the universe that we live in. What must that universe be like with a God like that? It is an amazing place. I guess you could make up your own sense of the world around us, but it's going to be better. But is it going to be better than what we have heard of today? Any universe we imagine is always going to be limited by us and the limits of our own imaginations. But God's imagination is limitless as we see in the night skies and the unbelievable range of plants and animals. And each person is a unique image of God. I'd much rather live in a world like that, shaped by the imagination of the infinite God, than anything you or I could come up with. There is no need to look to other spiritualities or theories because there is beauty and truth and it is found in the stories of Jesus' birth. This year I, I want to invite you to enjoy the wonder of the Christmas story and the truth it conveys that will give us all the meaning, purpose, community and ritual we could possibly want. I want to stir your hearts for as mine is already stirred just as I've been thinking about these things. I want you to not forget your first love. Who is Jesus and what does he mean to you? I want you to turn again to the only truth that is reliable and sturdy in a world where so much seems fleeting and faddish. I want us to proclaim and own again the gospel of Jesus Christ delivered once and for all for all the saints which is each one of you. You've been made holy by God. You are one of the saints for whom this gospel is intended. So just enjoy it. I am happy to proclaim a, a historical creed each week in our services, as we have today with the Nicene Creed, and to join in a prayer of confession. For we access the gospel the good news that is Jesus, through sincere, heartfelt repentance and faith. That's what it takes. Repentance and faith. And the gospel is the royal announcement that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born in a manger, lived a perfect life in our place, died on the cross for our sins, was raised triumphantly, from the grave to launch God's new creation as 
its now exalted king. King of the world, king of the universe, king of our lives. As I said, the only response we need to make is repentance, which we express in our prayer of confession, and faith, which we affirm in our creed and then seek to live as we obediently follow the teaching of Jesus, our Saviour. God becoming a human and dying to restore his creation is still the biggest thing that ever was and ever will be. It's a quote from J.I. Packer, Jim Packer. God becoming a human being and dying to restore this creation is still the biggest thing that ever was and ever will be. And reflect upon that this Christmas. The way forward is to hold on to these foundational truths. Uh, We find renewal in something old. The truths we proclaim in our Christmas Bible readings and carols and the rituals are the fount of goodness that refreshes and satisfies. It's the most beautiful thing in creation and will enliven our hearts and lift our eyes above the suffering and sorrow of the present. So let us look at our reading today to stir shivers and tears of joy. It can be hard for us to get our heads around huge, unique and mysterious events like God becoming the human being we know as Jesus and angels bringing startling news. But we can build our delight up by first looking at the small things. Let's start with Joseph. He seems a good fellow. Yes, they exist. Thank God. He was pledged to marry a young woman called Mary, and then he found out that she was pregnant and not by him. We may think Joseph should stand by Mary if he, if he loved her, but we're not invited to judge him by contemporary standards. We're told Joseph was faithful to the law, which is exactly what we should expect Mary to have wanted. There would be little point in her marrying Joseph if he was unfaithful to God. What type of husband would he be? I I know many of us like a, a good love story, but there is a bigger love story here. God's love for his people and his expectation of being loved in return through faithfulness to him. But Joseph did what he could. He did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He was thinking of her. And so I think that we can and should thank God for inspiring Joseph to faithfulness and compassion. It may seem a little thing, but little things can build and confirm our faith. The next thing is bigger, much bigger. Although delightfully it is understated given what actually happened. We read, but after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. An angel speaking words from God is a big thing. 
And this is presented as fact, not myth or something we make up by looking inwards for our own truth. And we hear of the Holy Spirit and what is rightly called the Immaculate Conception. It's so easy to make jokes about it. But it's a lovely contrast to our sexualized culture. And then we hear this son would be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Yeshua. Jesus, as we sing with Uncle Ben, which means our God saves. These are the truths of our first love. The angel calls Joseph a son of David, and for people who know their scriptures, as we can assume Joseph did, for he was faithful to God, that may well have linked this son with the promise in 2 Samuel 7 that there would be a Messiah in the line of David who would reign forever. Why wouldn't Joseph think that? Because a holy angel of God was speaking to him about his son who would be the saviour of the world. And the way of addressing Joseph shows care and respect as well as conveying great hope. The angel is concerned with Joseph's state of mind. Do not be afraid. Why should it matter if Joseph is afraid or not? Isn't it the message that matters? No. To God, people matter. Joseph mattered. A carpenter in Nazareth who would adopt or be the adoptive parent of the boy called Jesus mattered to God just as the acts of service you do in faithfulness to God matter to God. He he sees every one of them. And they matter to him because that's what he looks for. Your love, your trust. Matthew does not even mention the arrival of Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem All he says is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. But we are still dealing with historical fact. We know from Luke's account of the lack of room and the birth in the manger, but we'll get to them in the coming weeks. As we will to the shepherds washing their socks by night. Oh, good. You are listening. That's fine. Watching their flocks by night. But Matthew does tell us of the Magi uh, arriving from the East, which is really interesting if you think about the modern-day search for spirituality, because these Magi were not we three kings of Orient are or the three wise men. These were astrologers. They were following stars. We usually say three, as they brought three presents suitable for a king, but there may have been two or ten magi. We just don't know. We do know they came looking for the king of the Jews, and not out of curiosity, not because it was on their bucket list, but to worship him. Whatever their religion, whatever their spirituality, they knew the king of Jews, the king of the Jews was worthy of a long journey and their worship. And they also knew truth was found in what we call the Old Testament, for they quote these words from the book of Micah, 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Finally, Israel would get the shepherd that they needed, the shepherd that had been promised. Our good shepherd. Then we hear of the the presence and God's protection of his son from King Herod and a little bit later the flight down to Egypt. I, I hope you've heard enough to enjoy your first love and to have your heart stirred and that you're looking forward to the coming weeks. These these aren't children's tales or myths or truths from which one can have alternative senses of truth. These are the bedrock of our faith, as we say in our creed, uh, in the Nicene Creed, which we, we had today, For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He was incarnate for the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. We affirm this in either this or the Apostles' Creed every week because it's the bedrock. This is our first love. Or, if I wanted to indulge myself and not thrill some of you, uh, the Athanasian Creed. the third of our creeds, and I'll finish with this today. Now, this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. He is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father as regards humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. He suffered for our salvation. He descended to hell. He arose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the Father's right hand. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And his coming, all people will arise bodily and give an accounting of their lives. This is our first love, our preeminent love, the love we celebrate this Christmas, the love that will sustain us into the new year and for the rest of our lives and into eternity. So let's sing in praise of this. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Please stand. And we don't have someone to lead us because the person who's going to do that is going to play the organ. So we're going to be leading each other. Please stand.